0: The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog.
1: You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA show with hosts Tyler Laurie and Zandric Ellison. <laughs> You by underdog sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 34 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I am joined as always by my co-host over in California, Los Angeles. In fact, Zandrick Ellison and Zan, it's Sunday night, you just watched Game of Thrones, we're basically the most popular basketball slash Game of Thrones podcast there is, so how are you on this uh, Sunday night?
0: Talk about a good time to be a fan of both, right? Like, I actually didn't like the last week we talked about that, Game of Thrones, this week I thought was really good, and round two's been, I think, better than we all thought, right? We have four competitive series, Um, I did not anticipate that. And you basically have two games a night until, you know, the weekend. And uh, it's something to look forward to pretty much, every night.
1: Yeah. Today's games were both very, very good. Uh, I thought it was interesting. You touted to take Toronto plus three and Denver plus three. Not sure where you got that plus three line. I, I don't know if it was on sportsbook.com or not, but I had seen it at, at two and a half. But Toronto wins outright in Philly and uh, Denver i denver was the one that i was a little bit nervous about portland has only lost two home games at home since january 5th but denver finds out a way finds a way to even the series up and really just two very good games and and now two series that are 2-2 and then we have boston and milwaukee bucks up two one and then and houston finds a way to win an overtime on saturday night in a, in a really awesome game and and that game's gonna be Monday night as well so like we have a chance to look at all four series being 2-2 at the at the halfway point after Monday night and I think that's pretty unbelievable
0: yeah and I think you buried the lead because I you said I got both games right today you did you did I don't want dwell on that Toronto because it was a weird lines for both to be honest because you're talking about Toronto won today but all season long they were a better team you know maybe slightly so but still a better team and Denver, basically an even team with Portland, but you know down in the series, I thought they'd be motivated to tie it up, and they did. It was a close game, of course, great game. And I thought Houston was going to win um, game three as well. So I can't tell if I'm like on a hot streak, or it's like flipping a coin three times in a row, and suddenly you trick yourself into thinking like you're really hot. And this is when you blow it all on Bovada because you think you have some edge that you don't have, but I'm riding it. I think I do have it. I'm pretending like I, I've figured it out like Neo in the Matrix.
1: Well, a couple things. Uh, let's just start with today's games, and then we will get to Houston and Golden State, which was a, just an absolutely wild affair on Saturday night. But I was really impressed with Toronto today. M- mostly, I was impressed with Kawhi Leonard because, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Kevin Durant is playing better than him, but it's it's really close if KD is. I mean, Kawhi
0: there. I don't think so. I think Kawhi's playing better because um, he's not. Yeah, Durant's been missing some shots, you know, every once in a while, and I it's I find it simultaneously amazed, but then also like a little like I want to throw a little cold water on it too. So like, do you want to just rave about him for a bit, and then I can throw well, cold
1: water? I, on I don't it. know that there's anything to like really rave about. They're, they're, the numbers are unbelievable. Like you're talking about a guy again today, 39 points on 13 of 20 shooting, five for seven and three, five assists seven turnovers he struggled as a playmaker but 14 rebounds I mean he was their best player he was their only source of offense for an extended period of time I don't understand and we've mentioned this with Nick Nurse before but at some point like you just have to throw the ball to Marcus Gasol and he's got to be able to make post moves on like I'm not a post move guy you know that but like if they're going to have Tobias Harris on him in the post like you have to be able to utilize that let him pass out of the post let him score if they're going to do that but I mean, just Kawhi, every big bucket the Raptors needed today, he, he just had it again. And it it just feels like he's slowly but surely just breaking Philly's will. They just I don't know, Zan, like they just can't figure out a way to stop him. He shot over sixty percent from every game in the field so far, and he's averaged thirty eight points a game.
0: What's amazing because like when he got traded, there was still some sort of skepticism, I think, about his injury number one, but also about, you know, was he a product of the system in some way? Even ten percent, you know? And his all year when he's played, he's basically put up the exact same stats from that one great year he had in you know, 16, 17. Um, he's an amazing player. When, he, when he's playing, I do think you can make an argument for it being a top three player in the league. I mean, one thing that he does that these other guys don't do is like he rarely makes mistakes. He had a, a heavy turnover game today, actually, but it's not something that he usually does. I think he had seven today, but he averages 2.0. So he is like a basketball machine. The one thing I wanted to say about throwing cold water on him, like I do think he's great if he's playing. I just slightly get annoyed when the overreactions to basically every single day in the playoffs. And I've read so many like hot takes where it's like Kawhi's the best player in the NBA, Kawhi's the best player in the NBA. And maybe he he's up there night to night, but I mean, I just can't ignore the fact that he misses 20 games a year. I think that's important. And somehow we just forget conveniently.
1: And and hopefully, like it it does feel like Toronto's done the right thing with his workload just kind of like san antonio tried to do especially you know with all their stars in the past but they, they managed him well this year and it, it feels like we're we're seeing a guy getting stronger as the as the series is going on but again he, he did play 42 minutes today a couple things with toronto i think really good sign marcus saw 16 made a couple threes like very good sign to see him play well kyle made shots in the first half when they really needed him to but Toronto, 12 bench points from Abaka. But other than Ibaka, who played 32 minutes, they got 14 minutes out of their bench today. That's going to be tough. I, I really, we talked about Fred Van Vliet, Van Vliet before, Zan, but he is just nowhere to be found. Just absolutely terrible. Can't get shots, struggling to get the ball up the floor. So it feels like if Toronto is going to win this series, they cannot have Siakam have another game like he had today.
0: Well, he was maybe hurt, right? And so, or a little like gimpy. And, and Ibaka, I think, filled those minutes well.
1: He did really well. He did a really good job.
0: But to your point, yeah, like Fred Van Vliet, we talked about it last week. He, he's, he, he's. I don't know what happened to that guy. It's like, do you ever see Thunderstruck with Kevin Durant? No, it's I like, have not seen it. Or it's basically like Space Jam or you switch powers. But like, there's a kid out there somewhere who is has the, all the power, superpowers of a high end backup point guard um because like fred van vliet like he just looks like he can't play right now i don't understand it he was one of my favorite backups in the league and maybe it's i was going to float this idea to you um you know as long as we're overreacting to every game in the playoffs is is there something to the idea that if you're smaller if you're six feet like fred van vliet who's maybe not even six feet or you're kyle lowry who's not huge or we can talk about later steph curry hasn't quite been as dominant in the playoffs Does size matter more in the playoffs
1: yeah, I think there's less space, and I do think with the Sixers, just because of how supersized they are. I mean, JJ Redick is the smallest guy they play on a regular basis. They they only went, they played eight guys. I, I do think Boban got in the game for like a minute to contest an inbounds pass right before the end of the first half. But I mean, they only played Mike Scott, Greg Monroe, and James Ennis, and then you're you're looking at all those guys are six eight and above, and then Simmons six ten, Jimmy Butler six eight, Tobias is six nine, Joe you know seven two whatever, and then Redick six four, so. I think this is a really tough series for Van Vleet and and uh, Kyle to play in. It's it's really hard. You got to be able to make open shots, and the one thing with Van Vleet is there's just not a lot of space. So I, I think it's really really one, tough.
0: One for thirteen in the series so far, and, and it's something maybe about the size and the, the size of Philly on the other end. I understand if somebody's not shooting well, you know, people it goes people go into slumps. But if you don't, if you're tentative and you're not shooting well. You're not forcing the action, you know. He's not big enough to be a great defender. He's pretty good for his size, but like, it's he just looks like he, he's lost his confidence in some way. Because he, you know, he could be a good, you know, catch and shoot guy, even playing off Lowry. They've gotten away with that in the past, but I guess in this series, you can't play these two little guards together.
1: Yeah, they they just can't do that. I, I do want to talk about Philly for a second too, because this this was I was joking around. I had a couple friends in town. For a bachelor party this weekend in Nashville, and they're big Sixers fans. And, and we were, you know, hanging out la- yesterday downtown on Saturday, talking about how big of a game this was for the Sixers, and, and saying that this was, you know, probably for the way the city feels about this team, the biggest game the Sixers has had probably since they played in the NBA Finals with Allen Iverson. And I was really, really disappointed, like flu like symptoms aside for Embiid and, 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 you know, Simmons and whatever. I was really disappointed from what we saw from the Sixers today because this was a real opportunity for like, almost like you said, to kind of like validate that the process is a real thing. And they can certainly go on to win this series. Don't don't get me wrong. But now you have to win a game in Toronto and, and maybe they can do that. They did once before, but I was really disappointed, especially from what we got from Embiid and Ben Simmons today, Zan. I, I think that if you're going to make an argument that Embiid is, you know, a top five player in the league, like... I got to have more than 11, eight and seven. Uh, you know, you, you can't take seven shots in 35 minutes. That's just a really, it's a big problem for me. And and I thought that, you know, he, he was really good defensively. I thought for three quarters. And then I thought you could tell in the fourth quarter, just like nothing in the tank. And like I said, maybe, maybe he was sick. I, I believe there's no reason to think he wasn't telling the truth, but just felt like his activity level. Whereas in game three, it was so high just today. He just did not have it. And, and I, I, it sucks, man. Like it feels like you need more from those two guys in this game on your home court with a chance to go up 3-1. Well,
0: and also we talked about there's two games a night. So it's I think they each they get one day of rest for the next maybe for the rest of the series. And if he's struggling with his, you know, illness, maybe it's a lingering conditioning issue, because you know he'd been injured late in the year, um, he needs to bring it every night to beat Toronto. Like to your point, like they're not they're they're a very talented team philadelphia but they're not good enough to play b basketball and win this
1: you're exactly right
0: yep um i'd be interested to see how what happens um i think it's closer i you know i went in thinking this would be the easiest series on the board i thought toronto would win 4-1 maybe we said 4-2 but um i think philly has a shot though i mean they're playing well and i think you know in terms of Jimmy Butler, more than anybody, he's been like the most impressive to me in this series. Like, he's looked like a genuine star.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting too, because it's obvious that like Simmons has struggled a little bit. And, and and Simmons is the one with the aggregate plus minus, it's been really bad, like minus 16 today, well, whereas Embiid was plus seven. And a little bit said Simmons plays more minutes and, and they stagger the lineups a little differently, but Kawhi's also guarding him for a, a good portion of the games, and that's very tough. But Jimmy's just made every single play they've needed him to make, even like all, five offensive rebounds. He, he kept the one alive, he made a huge three off a broken play it just feels like they get so much out of him but I also feel like part of that is because you know he's not he's not doing a great job on Kawhi that's for sure but also like he doesn't have Kawhi guarding him defensively either and so he's the guy that it feels like Toronto's okay letting them letting him beat them and you know he he almost did it today he was tr- he was tremendous again today one of the bigger things and that I think is like Brett Brown catches a good amount of heat, but like Greg Monroe was awful today. Like you you can't play him ten minutes. Mike Scott, quick trigger, just can't guard. James Ennis, they've gotten great minutes out of, but it's like after maybe that top six, and I think I would put Ennis in that, like, where do the Sixers get scoring from if you have a game like this with Simmons and Embiid? And and can you chalk this up to like, oh game four, they just played bad, or are we gonna start to see that maybe if Ben Simmons is not kind of enforcing his will, then if they if Embiid can't score, they can't win.
0: Yeah, and I agree with you about Ennis. He's been sort of like the wild card in this series. You know, the guy who's cast aside by Houston. He kind of, in theory, fit exactly what they needed. Um, and in theory, kind of fits what Philadelphia needs off the bench. And he's providing that. You know, a guy who's pretty – I don't know if he's pretty good at everything, maybe average at everything, but, you know, that's a playable player.
1: Yeah, I mean, 26 minutes today, three for eight from the field, three for seven from three. Like, it's pretty much what you want him to do. Pretty much all corner threes. he I know he hit with at least one above the break three, but like – Pretty much all corner threes, five rebounds, one turnover, one steal, one block. I mean, you, you got to feel pretty good about those minutes from James Ennis. But you're also, I mean, this is we're looking at a team right now. I, I think this was said today by Hubie Brown. But this is only the 17th game that their starting five has played together.
0: So, well, and it's interesting because it's not. They shouldn't shock you that Embiid is less than 100% playoffs. You know, it's it's probably surprising that he's playing in the playoffs that he got through the season. Um, so it's interesting that Philadelphia knew that. Uh, that Embiid, you know, or at least you might have to rest heavy minutes or whatever or through the course of the regular season. I'm always surprised by the team who have like a big center like Embiid and don't back him up with um, a counterpunching, you know, more agile power forward slash center. They have Boban who they traded for and Monroe. They acquired or both like traditional slower centers. This team, if they had, I don't know who that guy is, but a small ball center who could buy the minutes and while Ben Simmons kind of runs the offense and runs and guns a little bit more, I think they'd be you know, keep teams a little more off balance.
1: Yeah, it feels like that was like Ily Sova last year a little bit, where they could they could go real small around him and be super switchy and, and sprayed around a little bit. But again, we, we mentioned this before, like this Sixers team is flawed, but their starters have been really, well, really really good. I don't know off the top of my head right now, I don't know what the starters differential was today, but they, they had been outscored by six points over the first three games uh, with Toronto starters. but. It did feel like Toronto just got a little bit more from their role guys today, and and Tobias Harris was just right. flat I, out I, I terrible. Found an interesting
0: stat where they said I think they there's some stat where they said both the Toronto starters and Philadelphia starters prior to today, both starters were heavily plus, plus. Um, and then the teams were bad without them. And you know when you mix and match, you know it turn, it, that can both be true.
1: I mean the big the biggest takeaway for me like Toronto, if I'm the Sixers, I'm trying to figure out a way to get my starters on the floor without Kawhi in the game because. They cannot score when he's in the game, and I'm trying to. I would be trying to run it down Toronto's throat without Kawhi in the game because it's very, very, very hard for them to score if he doesn't play. And like I said, today they got 30 points from Kyle and Marc Gasol, and then they got another 12 from Serge Ibaka. Like that's huge. And unfortunately, somehow the Sixers only got you know 18 points or something from Simmons. And I mean, they got what 21 points from Simmons and Embiid, and like that's just not good enough. Not not in 70 ish minutes, you know.
0: I. I I have two major questions for you. Takeaways from this game. You know, because I I alluded to before, like the overreactions to every single day. You know, it's wild swings. After game three, it was Kawhi's definitely going to leave.
1: He's definitely leaving still. So if that's your question, I'm going to cut it off right now. He's still not being in Toronto.
0: Well, I'll I'll phrase it a different way. How far does this team have to go to convince him to stay? Like if they win the title. He is leaving 100%.
1: I I would go on Bovada right at this moment. I would take whatever odds they had, and I would I would bet as much money as I could possibly get on my back on my account because he's not staying in Toronto. It's not happening.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, that
1: I told you that before that I, I wish that he was going to stay because I'd love to see this team run it back. I'd love to see Masai, who I think is. Just a super unique thinker. Like I'd love to see him try to put a a, a better team around Kawhi because like this team is very good, but but certainly a little bit incomplete. They have some some holes and some things that need to get fixed. But like I would love to see Kawhi and Siakam grow together. That would be so much fun. But we're not going to get to see it.
0: Well, Masai Ujiri, the GM. I think that's an interesting point. Like because I think even if Toronto loses this series, I think they're going to you know win the series. But if they lose and Kawhi leaves and it's a disaster. I still would support the move, the trade for him. I think you know they they had to take a shot. You know they had topped out so many times, and if this gave him you know a slightly better chance to win the title, even if that goes from two percent to ten percent, like you have to take a shot at the title. However, I will make one caveat: if Masai Ujiri did it because, as rumored, he may be thinking about moving elsewhere if it was sort of like, let's burn down the house and get the insurance money, then I would feel like it was the wrong move. It, and it, it, I would not like it if Masai, like there was rumor that he might go to Washington for some reason. Maybe that's just a cash grab. He's trying to renegotiate his deal. I would be, I would look, I, I think it's kind of a lame move to if he kind of just tears down this team, leaves them in a bad situation for the future, and then bolts for like the next.
1: I don't think, I think you're thinking a little too far into it, to be honest with you. I, I do feel like, uh, I do feel like Masai made this deal because he thought this made it gave his team the best chance to win the title. You know, DeMar is a, a great player, but but flawed. Kawhi, a lot of question marks around him, but you see who he is, and we're, we're seeing it right now. The type of guy that can carry you to wins in the playoffs, you know, makes the deal for Marcus. Saul, Gets rid of Dwayne Casey after Dwayne Casey, you know, won a bunch of games in the last four or five years. Goes with Nick Nurse, a little bit more of a forward thinker. And I think guys like this at the general manager spot are typically successful. Like you, you got to go for broke sometimes and, and you got to make it happen, even though he probably has a lifetime contract in Toronto, you know, not lifetime, but he could do any number of things over the next couple of years and they would be fine with it. But I, I will say this. I do have some Intel on that Masai Ujiri to Washington rumor that that did not leak from the wizards camp. They they had not spoken to him when that rumor came about. So somebody, maybe it's his reps. Like you said, maybe he's trying to get more money. I don't know, but you know, he, he he is a guy that would be very interested in being in D.C. His wife is from D.C. So I, I think that he has in the past said like, oh, I'd love to work for the Wizards. Maybe this was 10 years ago. You know, maybe it was five years ago, whatever. I don't know. But and that's probably where that's come from. But this was not a situation where like the Wizards have been courting Messiah behind the scenes. That is... Not the case, and I can tell you that with a good degree of certainty.
0: Well, I, I don't know. if I guess that would be tampering, but I, I think all these teams should should do that. And I agree with you. Masai is one of like the five GMs I would trust to run a team. Uh, and if I was had a franchise, I would look at guys like that and try to poach them away, like Sam Presti or Masai Ujiri or whoever. And Daryl Morey, could you throw ten million dollars a year at him? I think it's worth it. Almost as much as we may shit on him.
1: In terms of like a, a team building motto, I do think it's pretty clear at this point it's probably much smarter to allow your GM to pick his coach just because it's it, it's too hard, I think, to have the sides be fractured. Like, I, I just feel like...
0: I agree. I, I think the GM has become more important than the coach. In,
1: in so do team. I. This is very different than football, where, like, you can totally out-scheme people. Like, now the league has become very, very different in terms of how people value players and positions and, and styles. And so I, I think you have to be lockstep. You, you just Your coach and your general manager just have to be on the same page.
0: And it's like an organizational philosophy. And we won't talk too much about this, but um, I wrote a, like, a post about how Minnesota might really benefit. They hired um, a guy from Houston to kind of run their basketball operations. And that's exactly what ails a poorly like organized team like Minnesota. The fact that the stat was Andrew Wiggins took more mid-range jumpers than the entire Houston Rockets team. And if your GM is somebody who understands the basic math, that's not a good shot. Let's drill it through to our players. That – will not only make Andrew Wiggins better, it makes every single player on the team better. And that's worth the price of a good executive.
1: And Ryan Saunders is a younger guy who's kind of embraced more of those realities as well. So, you know, and Kirsten Rosas actually, you know, he, he cut his teeth in the kind of like scouting player evaluation field. He, he is obviously an analytics guy because you, you really cannot be and work in Houston, but I think he is well-respected on both sides of the table. So it'll be actually interesting. That, that's a, an interesting move to monitor. But with enough of these loser teams that we're talking about, so let's go to... I guess like Friday night, Portland and Denver was the game of the year. Zan, four overtime game. Has there been a better game this year?
0: Do you think? That's a great question. Um, no, I thought it, I thought it was the, the most memorable. Like the, oddly, for Portland, the most memorable shot was Damian Lillard's game winner. The four overtime game. It was at the point where it was late for me in LA. I'm sure it was people on the East Coast were exhausted. And sometimes in games like that, you're just hoping that it ends. But I still had enough energy. Where I'm like, I just want to keep tying. I want to see how long this can go, um, and it went four overtimes. I thought it was great, and and I'll give so much credit to these players. I'll give a lot of credit to the players, like because coming into this series, like I or coming into the playoffs, I worried Nikola Jokic can he bump up his minutes from 32 to 35 to 40, and how many did he hit playing Six?
1: 65.
0: And he should know have. that's what I was going to say. Like, I would give the players a lot of credit. I think the coaches, you could talk about this. Like, I think they have to manage their minutes better, even in overtime. I know you're thinking it's going to end, but there's five minutes. You could buy, I think, a minute or two of rest.
1: Yeah, I. Uh, it was very clear that Portland won the game because Rodney Hood in the fourth overtime had fresh legs and nobody else did. I, it just was just so obvious. And I felt terrible for, for Jokic going one for two from the foul line in the fourth overtime, you just knew it was going to happen. He was dead. I mean, he was just absolutely dead, just dragging. I'm a little surprised. Mike Malone, and, and, and obviously, so Denver, they lose this game in, in the fourth overtime. It's an absolute war, whatever, and they respond unbelievably well today and uh, win 116-112 in Portland, like I said. And it's only the third game that Portland's lost at home since, you know, basically New Year's. But I, I do think like one of the things Michael Malone has been very odd about his rotation, like all of a sudden he just doesn't trust Monte Morris anymore. You know, he just doesn't trust Mason Plumley. And so I agree with you, Zan. I, I understand what you're saying, but like, you know, Monte Morris got 10 minutes today. He got 12 minutes the other night in a four overtime
0: game. It's crazy. To your point, like it shows you who the coaches or whom the coaches simply just don't trust anymore because we're talking about a four overtime game where your starters are playing 50, 60 minutes. Mason Plumley plays 12 minutes Monty Morris plays 12 minutes and on the other end Evan Turner played 13 minutes like they clearly like are souring on these guys and they don't trust them when the game's on the line i I, do, I agree I and Evan Turner have never been an Evan Turner fan, but I am a Mason Plumley fan I'm a Monty Morris fan so for, for me those are disappointing number totals I'm looking at again they only played 26 combined minutes today.
1: I, I will say, though, one of the things I think is good for Will Barton, by the way, for like we, we've we been pretty critical of Will Barton, or at least I have, but 22 points on Friday night. And then today, uh, another really he hit a huge three in the end of the fourth quarter today, but finishes today with uh, with 11, but just a, a really active game, made some big shots. So like Will Barton's a guy that I've been critical of, but now kind of really embracing that, that six man role. I will say I'm a little concerned, I, and I don't know if maybe this is a, a lack of or maybe playing too many minutes. But Damian Lillard, you know, two subpar shooting games in a row, and then obviously game one he didn't shoot it well. So I would say that I think Gary Harris has done a very good job on him up to this point. But you know, maybe Lillard is getting a little bit tired as well, and I, I think like this is tough. It's 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 tough for a team like Portland who the expectations are are not super high, but at the same time, like. You've got a chance. You're at home. You're rocking and rolling like you're a great story in the postseason. Then you you don't figure out a way to get it done today, and and it's almost because like Lillard in the third quarter, just it just wasn't there. He just had a really tough stretch in the third quarter. And
0: well, I I wonder this. Like I want you know he had that game winning shot that I thought was one of the best shots I've ever seen. Best thing for him in terms of his national reputation. I wonder. I wonder if it was kind of a, a double edged sword in the sense that is he gonna is his shot selection gonna change is he gonna play a little too much hero ball and and i you hear it in the announcer's voice too when the game's close the end like this is game time or whatever (laughs) you know like he's gonna shoot the game winner it's almost like that old kobe bryant mentality that has been proven to be the wrong way to play um and he's kind of fallen into that mccallum's has is there to shoot a lot of shots as well but You'd hate to see them get too ISO heavy and too shot heavy on the back court. That's why I think Rodney Hood is so important, just to give him a, another. Yeah, I
1: mean, in Lillard, four for sixteen from three in the last two games, and and obviously we know he had a really he had a really bad game in game t- in game two where Denver just couldn't make a shot. So you know we're looking at three you know games in a row from Dame that are below average or average by his standards, and and that's a tough thing to look at. CJ McCollum very good the last two games, just a, a tougher cover I think for a guy like Torrey Craig because McCollum's more herky-jerky, like a little bit more slippery, if you will, and and he does a better job on guys that are, are good athletes, and I think that he's not quite as equipped to guard a guy like McCollum. I will say, though, Zan, Jokic just tremendous. We get it. This, this guy, at this point, he doesn't really have to prove much else, but Jamal Murray, just two huge games in a row from this guy, and, and, and a guy in the first round that guys were like, oh, is Jamal Murray a star? Like, is this a player? But I told you right before we started recording, you know, the second Nuggets player in the last like 15 or 20 years to go back to back 30 point games in the playoffs, the other being Carmelo and made all six free throws down the stretch, made a couple big threes. So I, I yeah, think I it's- love
0: Jamal Murray. Like I, I was joking, like how, you know, I'm no Stramas or whatever. I I'm wrong more often than I'm right. And I'll admit this embarrassing take once, like I was really high on Jamal Murray in the draft and, and as a young player. And at one point I would say to people, I might have to burn the tapes. So I'm like, I think I'd rather build around Jamal Murray than Jokic, just because he's he's such an easy projection. You know, this is before they they broke out with like MVP type numbers for Jokic. It's so easy to project. Like these guys, these shooters who can get their own shot. You know, you see a Dame Lillard on the other end, even CJ McCollum. Like every team could use a guy like that. You know, like those kind of guys are stars. You know, what whether they're elite or not, like that's an all star potential player and obviously Jokic turned out to be a lot better than i thought but i still believe that about Jamal murray i still think he's going to be an all-star in a couple of years
1: i mean yeah maybe, maybe as soon as next year or the year after and like i said with denver they're always going to have a bunch of contributors just because they're like you know we've talked about the guts of the house before but they are built to win for a little while and they are built to be flexible and you know like we we don't know what michael porter is going to be but this is going to be a really interesting team i don't know I'm curious if you have it up right now. I'm not sure if you do, but I don't know like on Bovada, if, they, if they've they got to be a favorite to win the series now. But it, I, in my opinion, it shouldn't be much more than like minus 130 or minus 150 or something. This is a really close series. I, I do feel like Toronto is is better. You know, these two teams feel like a coin flip to me. They really do.
0: Oh, absolutely. And we were talking about it before about like, Denver has this rep as like a top one or two seed because they started so hot. But in terms of record and point differential, they're very similar teams. Um, they're still calculating the odds on bovada, like but i expect I expect it to be close. I mean Denver, just by virtue of the fact that they have the home court. I think they're still gonna be favored um but I think it's gonna come down to game seven, and i that kind of brings me to a larger point about home court advantage. I think it matters feels like it matters less these last few years. i don't there's no game that I'm thinking. When I was thinking of games this weekend, I was thinking more like psychologically. Do teams want to split? I feel like they're going to split a home. They're going to split on the road. I rarely lean to, hey, home field is going to decide the difference. Or am I wrong about that? Is that like, you know, recency bias?
1: I know. I definitely think home court matters. I I mean, I think it's tougher to quantify. I, I know like you can see like what the records are on home court, but like, you know, like going to Golden State where it's so loud if you have to win a game seven in Golden State, going you know, going to Portland, the Moda Center is so loud. I I feel he's been a freaking zoo lately. And I do, I definitely think teams that end up, you know, in these best of threes when you have two games and I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I would expect that in these like best of three series now that the team with the two home games would probably win like 70 to 75% of the time. But but my, my big thing with the home court advantage part of it is like, I just think that I honestly feel like Portland and Denver are just so close. Like I just think they're so the teams are just so evenly matched in my opinion. Like the styles, the way they play, the shooters, like the guards are all very good. Like I just think these these teams are really close. I I don't necessarily think the rest of the teams are that close.
0: Well, and also I think there's another reason why home court matters less to me and I've seen stats on it slightly bear this out. Home court is gone from about 60% chance of winning down to like 55 to 56 to 57, something, you know, like in that range. So only a few percent, but it's still meaningful. And I think it has to do with the fact that home court really matters because it matters to the refs, you know, and they get, they tend to give you favorable calls. And maybe by proxy, that makes you, you know, more aggressive and in getting to the line. But we've spoken about this before, like teams actually get to the line less into modern NBA than they did before and we've certainly spoken about this, teams shoot a lot more threes than they did before. And so I think, like, as long as you're shooting threes and you're not relying on the refs, the home court can matter less. Do you agree with that, or does that sound crazy?
1: No, I think that's a pretty good point. I also, I would be curious to see what the numbers are of officials, like, how they call games in certain arenas, if if you will. Like, is somebody more influenced by, like, an Oklahoma City crowd, a Golden State crowd? Like, a Boston crowd, you know, the more rowdy arenas, the louder arenas. But I, I don't know if you have that info or not.
0: I, I, I just had the home court. And I think maybe that sounds, people might disagree because we've watched so much of the Warriors and Harden and it feels like Harden, you know, the refs have become such an issue still, but it's really a Harden issue. You know, like he gets fouled so much more often on threes. Like, I think I read somewhere that he gets fouled on like 10% of his threes where the, the rest of the league is like 1%. So Harden's a different beast. But in terms of like the, the league as a whole, I think it's trending in the direction of more threes, less free throws, and perhaps, I think slightly less of a home court advantage. Maybe it's, it doesn't matter enough. but you know you know me, I'm always trying to figure out like trends and market inefficiencies. And that brings me to my next point, Tyler. Jeans. I had a friend I'll tell you a quick story. I had a friend in college, Tom, rich kid. And he used to brag about his fancy clothes. And I remember him once saying, you see this watch, it's a thousand dollar watch. It's pretty cool, right? And I go, well, does it tell time any better than my phone? Like, no, like you're just doing it to like peacock and like look cool. I mean, you're just like falling into the system. So if you're, if you're one of those guys spending 200, $300 on jeans, you just look like a douchebag. I'm sorry. Your skinny ass jeans. Be a real man. Wear some real jeans for good prices that you could wear anywhere that's how you can tell if you're smart. If you're really, that, that's what I guarantee you. Daryl Morey's wearing Wranglers right now because he realizes there's no difference. Practically, we spend $300 versus these amazing Wrangler jeans that I could wear anyway. I could go ride a bike. I could go scout talent in Croatia. I could write a manifesto about the refs. i wearing my real comfortable jeans, Wrangler jeans. I, I don't
1: know if Daryl Morey wears Wrangler jeans. I, I think he, he possibly does, but a good place to wear Wrangler jeans is at a baseball game and America's pastime is back The smell of the grass, the crack of the bat, and now the sensation of money burning a hole into your pocket. Yahoo Daily Fantasy, Zan, the contests bring you closer than ever to the game that you love. Yahoo Daily Fantasy offers single day and week-long contests so you can pick a new team every day. To get started, it's super simple. Go to yahoo.com backslash daily fantasy and find a contest that's right for you. You can try a 50-50 contest where the top 50% of a lineup wins, or you can try Yahoo's innovative quick match feature where they'll pair you with another player of your skill level. Or you can play for larger prizes and bigger bragging rights in guaranteed prize pool contests. Yahoo Daily Fantasy has the lowest management fees across the industry. So don't play with the other sites that charge you high fees just to play. Yahoo's lower fees means more prizes for you, the players, to win. Use the promo code POD25 for $25 in free play when you make your first deposit. The sooner you get to playing, the sooner you can get to winning. Go to yahoo.com backslash Daily Fantasy to start playing today. I do wonder, Zan, not to jump right back into the playoff talk, but what are we seeing with this Kevin Durant-Steph Curry dynamic? I don't want to be a talking head. I don't want to be Stephen A. Smith. I don't want to be Skip Bayless. But what do you think is going on between Steph and Kevin Durant right now? Because we're watching KD play at an unbelievable level, and we are seeing Steph Curry play as bad as I've seen him play in a long time. Are you worried?
0: mixed thoughts i don't know that could be the episode title waffle house because I, I do feel back and forth on all these issues for me like it's partly this i think everyone overreacts to every game i, I see a lot of stats thrown around they're like in this series steph curry has shot this i'm like it's been what three games let's not overreact to like sample three game sample size at the same time waffle house zan says it does look a little funky right i mean and I think you could think of this as like a long-term trend. Like, I don't know if Steph ever looked that consistently amazing in the playoffs as he does in the regular season. Does that sound like an overreaction? But I, I remember, you know, even the years they, the first free Kevin Durant, like he, he didn't win MVP when they had a Gudala. Um, He probably should have, but it was close. And the fact that he couldn't win finals MVP in a season when he had arguably one of the most dominant seasons of all time. You know, if he's if he's a nine and a half in the regular season, he's like a seven and a half in the playoffs, and and it's been fairly consistent.
1: Yeah, one of the things that will never I will never be able to get it out of my memory, and this is coming from one of the the biggest Steph Curry guys. There, like I, I think he's in, incredible. I think he's changed the NBA. Like, but I'll never forget in Game Seven in fifteen sixteen, the seventy three at nine team, or I guess sixteen seventeen. Sorry them switching Tristan Thompson onto him a couple times in a row and Steph just not being able to to make a shot over him. Like, you know, he, he he can get threes, he can play around with the ball, like dribble, dribble, whatever, and just not being able to go by him and get to the rim and then, you know, having to take threes, which is great. That's what we want him to do, but having to take tough contested shots. And I don't know if this is something we should be concerned about now. I'm I'm not sure, but you know, watching him just miss layups yesterday's and like him getting dunk him spriting himself on a dunk at the end of the game was more funny than anything else, but like I mean, he missed like a couple layups where like he was at the rim, like backboard rim, just couldn't get it to go. It just felt like, it just felt like something happened last night. I don't, know, I don't know what it was, and and I'm I'm not expecting him to play as bad on Monday night as he did on Saturday, but God, Zan, he was so bad. He was, I mean, like God forbid, like Russell Westbrook have a game like that, you know? Like what we what we say, like LeBron, if he plays that bad, if KD plays that bad, like where where's like the media on Steph Curry because. I mean, we're watching
0: Durant coming. I saw, yeah, I saw a lot of like, I saw a lot of overreactions. You know, he he's averaging 18 points in the series so far, which is amazingly low. We said it before. Like, I think if Steph Curry played like Harden plays, he'd be the best player in the game. But he gets gunshy. I don't think that. he don't can know. play.
1: I don't think he can play that way.
0: Yeah, maybe he doesn't have the durability or the strength to do that. But. Um, Whenever I watch the Warriors, I feel feel like he's the difference making in terms of them being historically great. And it's always like Kevin Durant keeping them in games with these short range, mid range, long twos, amazingly so. But you're always waiting for that Steph Curry flurry, and I feel like I've been waiting for it for like two playoffs now. You know, it's like it's like waiting for a good dough. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if it's coming.
1: We're to the point with him, like when he takes open shots, you're always surprised when he misses. But, like, now it's to the point where you're, like, you, you're exactly right. Like, you're waiting for him to make, like, these back-breaking shots where he he's made them and you've watched them and he's just just killed the will of the other team. And they're not happening right now. And they really haven't needed it. Draymond was great again on Saturday, another triple-double. Steph Curry, 40 – or, sorry, Kevin Durant, 46. And, like, I mean, Durant, it's just the ease, the way that he scores. It's so annoying when he takes these little, like, one-foot jumpers or whatever. Like, and, and it, it's great. He makes them, but, like – I mean, his start of the fourth quarter, Zan, when it looked like Houston was going to pull away, I think Houston was up ten, and then Durant just scores ten straight on it by himself, two threes, like two pull ups, and it's like, what do you do to stop this guy? And it, it just it feels like Clay and and Steph have not quite played to their potential so far through three games, and
0: I, I think that's part of it. I think you know they had such a good chemistry and rhythm before Durant showed up, and then Durant shows up and like. Absorbs a lot of the oxygen in the room, and like deservedly so, because like he, you can get a shot anytime. And,
1: and like not for nothing, before before you make this point, I just want to point out they have won two straight titles with Kevin Durant's been on the Warriors for two years. They have won two NBA titles. So
0: no, and, and you know what? Like, and we've talked about this privately. Like Durant, his playing style is wrong. Like
1: I, it's so wrong. It's just it's so annoying. Even in the middle of the game, in the middle of overtime yesterday, like he's. You know, it, it seems so stupid to say, like, how could it be wrong when he drives it to the nail and shoots over a guy who's six inches shorter than him? Like, how could it be wrong? But it, it just fucking
0: is. It's I know
1: it's wrong. We know oh, it's yeah. wrong.
0: It's I mean, it's like Daryl Morey's probably tearing his hair out and like you know, ripping holes in his Wranglers because it's like this is everything you know about advanced basketball and stats and basic stats. Like, this is not the way you should be playing basketball. But he's so good at it that it overcomes that sin. Um, and but he's like the exception.
1: It's like today, right? Like Kawhi has 39, and you you feel like Kawhi's scoring every single time he touches the ball, and like obviously Durant played an overtime game, but like Durant has 46, and it's like it's just the, the ease that he does it, Zan. Where you just look up and you're like, God, he has 45. It's like when did he get those points? Because it just feels like it. I it, it, I don't know. Should he shoot it more than 30 times a game? Like should he be shooting it 40 times a game? I'm I'm, I'm not even. I, I, he is as locked in on offense as I've seen Kevin Durant be in a long time, and it's a scary thought. It, it really is. It actually speaks to Houston that like they were able to figure out a way to come out of that game with a win. And, and it re- I mean, obviously, like they, their season's over if they don't win that game, and their season might be over if they don't win Monday night. Like no question about it. Like you said, like you're expecting them to win Game Three, lose Game Four, and then lose Game Five in Golden State. But fuck, man. The, the, the Rockets, I thought, were so tough on Saturday nights. And Like, I thought it was a really a heck of a performance from them to get up off the mat and win the game.
0: I I don't agree totally. Like, I think we talked about even going as far as to say, like, look, there's going to be a game where Amon Shumpert's going to hit shots. You know, it, or you know, I don't know anything. if we ever picked
1: Amon Shumpert, but yes, you did say I'm there was a game sure. where the Rockets I were going gonna... to. Th-
0: I said he's going to start three for three from three, and Steph and Clay would start three for nine. I, I'm pretty sure I said. I don't want to check the tape. Let's take my word for that one. But um, it happens. And I do think Steph Curry is going to blow up the next game because I just think the media attention, they're going to make the Warriors like kind of respond to the idea that like Steph Curry's not playing well and they're going to try to force him shots and he'll be able to make those shots. Uh, I do think there's a little bit more to it than that, though, because like we said, like you know, he hasn't played that well in the playoffs relatively, again, like 8 out of 10, but he's usually a 10 out of 10. And they always fall back on the excuse like maybe he's hurt, you know, his ankle's kind of bothering. I'm like, I'm tired of hearing that excuse like four years in a row. Um, the newer excuse that I do kind of believe is the idea that Durant, you know, the specter of like his um, free agency is looming so large, and maybe is making the Warriors defer even more to him than usual. And you saw like, Steve Kerr this week talk about, you know, how great he is. He's clearly the best player in the league. And for Steph Curry, that's probably annoying cuz you know before Kevin Durant showed up you were like the toast of the town i i don't think it's conscious i don't think he's like tanking in any way i don't think he's not trying his best but i think in the back of his mind deep subconscious when he's like deep rem sleep or whatever it's called like he's thinking like maybe it's not so bad if Durant leaves you know if we lose and Durant licks his wounds and leaves and i get to i get my town back do you think there's any part of that that's <laughs> true
1: I don't know. I liked that conspiracy theory when you floated it by me before we recorded that, like, it's just out there that he's he's just tired of him. So he's like, if Durant wins, we win another title. It's great. It looks great on my resume. If we lose, Durant leaves and I get my team back. And then I can say that I won without Kevin Durant if they're fortunate enough to win.
0: Well, it kind of reminds me. Remember Kobe got some flack for shooting too much? And then he's like, I'm going to prove a point. I'm not going to shoot at all. It's like, fuck you, Kobe. But I don't think Steph Curry's like that. But I do think he's sort of like... I don't know, stepping back in some way. And he's not forcing the issue. And same with Clay, I think, also. You know, Clay played really well defensively, but he has more in the tank.
1: I, I think Thompson. he's a little bit injured. I think he's more injured than people are letting on. Clay Thompson, at least. You don't think so?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I mean he he's he coasts in and out of games like so much more than he should. I I still think I, all that said, I'm looking at Bovada right now and it's one and a half favorite the Rockets are favored I expect it to be a close game but I think the Warriors I will stand by that prediction I think they're gonna win a close game and then the Rockets are gonna tap out and leave
1: I like the Rockets on Monday uh I do agree with you there is some validity to the whole idea of like you know is are we going to get, I, I think what, Shumpert was three for five from three. He made a ridiculous step back three that he just had no business shooting early in the fourth. It was a huge shot. He was three for, for five. I think Austin Rivers was two for four. And then Eric Gordon, we didn't talk about Eric Gordon, comes up, you know, 30 points, seven for 14 from three, made some huge shots down the stretch. Actually,
0: yeah, he, he's played extremely well. And he's had such a bad season start, start to the season. And he's really turned it around. It reminds me of when he was like, you know, from LA, I remember early Eric Gordon on the Clippers. You know, people were talking about him not as like the next Kobe, but like the kind of guy that like Bradley Beal is now, like all star, twenty five point scorer. Yeah, and he flashes that still, I think, in times. But it's just it's still kind of a funky lineup, I think, because they they're so guard heavy.
1: I'm a little bit concerned about the fact that like Harden, I'm not concerned. He can play as many minutes as he want. But Harden forty five, but just about forty six minutes. Eric Gordon forty five minutes. Chris Paul forty four minutes on Saturday night two game turnaround for those guys. That's an awful lot of minutes they hung on them because Daniel House didn't play and you know his foot's kind of messed up and they they need Daniel House to play well. Like they just they they need something from Daniel House. They've gotten really good minutes from Austin Rivers. I want to believe in the Warriors and I I just i are in the Rockets. I really want to. I really really want I don't,
0: to. I don't I I kind of believe in them as it. Their style is so good. I, I believe in that. I totally believe in that. I just don't think they're, the talent matches up this year. And as much as Shida was talking about Steph Curry in the playoffs, not overreacting. This is a historical truth for five, 10 years. Harden does not play as well in the playoffs. It's not like, I don't think it's like an effort thing. I don't think it's a choking thing. He shoots in the regular season 36% from three, over 36%. And that goes down to under 33% in the playoffs for his career. So we're not overreacting to one game. He's not as good in the playoffs. And you could make the argument that no one's as good in the playoffs. these are tougher defenses, but that, that's a big drop off. um I don't know really how to explain it necessarily It's a tough it's
1: argument to like, make when he when he just gives you forty one nine and seven in an overtime win. It is a tough argument to make, but I know right now one of your biggest things is like no recency bias. that's your big thing this episode
0: yeah, that's why I'm citing ten years of worth of stats <laughs> that he hasn't played that well, and there was a, I heard some of that rumblings that the team looked a little better when Chris Paul was running the team um I don't know. And they where went on where did you hear? Back. Where
1: did you hear those rumblings from? From like C.J. Paul, from like Oscar from the Office in a State Farm commercial? Did he say that?
0: I'm telling you, they did go on a run when Harden went on the bench. Same. Remember with that one Josh Smith game when they they came back.
1: Oh my God! He won him the freaking game in overtime. Like, are you serious? You are. Like, are we really gonna? Are we really gonna shit on James? Harden? We might only get one more game to talk about James Harden being like awesome. This might be it for us. Okay. Are we really going to kill him? He made the big three in overtime. Like, With one eye. His eyes all messed up. He's a super fun character to watch right now. Are we really going to do this on James Harden and make me, like, it's late on a Sunday night? Like, are we going to make me get angry about this? Because I, I mean, I can't. The guy was awesome on Saturday night. He was great in the second yeah, half.
0: I, I wasn't super impressed. He <laughs> I mean, misses a lot of shots. All right. Stuff. Let's go to someone who. Shots, let's go to someone shots. who. Con- if Steph Curry shot 32 shots, he would be better than James Harden. Just shoot more, Steph.
1: I don't know about that. He shot twenty three shots. He was pretty freaking terrible. Um, all right, let's go to the last series. Boston thought we you you basically said beforehand we can roll the table on this too that like bet <laughs> Milwaukee both games because you're likely to win one and like the odds are good on Bovada whatever.
0: Well, that that was like the whatever the the weirdest. I think somebody was asleep at the switch on Bovada. They probably fell asleep listening to our podcast, like because that line didn't make sense. The fact that Milwaukee was, I think, the underdog.
1: Yeah, Milwaukee was dog- Milwaukee was a two point dog, which made zero sense when they were a two point. when they were seven point favorite in game two, and they just
0: blow out. It's, it's the same thing this week. Same thing this game. I mean, so it's only one and a half, but I don't know. You're not going to, you know, win huge betting that one and a half, but. I'll tell you, it's tempting. I I don't think Boston's guaranteed to tie it up.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I I don't think that either. I do think one of the subplots to pay attention to is Kyrie went off about the officiating after the game, and his main gripe wasn't necessarily total volume of free throws. The Bucks had 36, the Celtics had 32, but Giannis had 22 of those 36 free throws, and he did not get fined. Now... We like to throw conspiracy theories out on this one, but I, I think in general, when you do not get fined for criticizing the officiating, that means the NBA likely thinks that you had some sort of a gripe. Okay, so what I would say is, if there is some sort of prop on Bovada about like you know Giannis' total free throws in Game Four, I'd be looking at the under on something like that. I think we'll see a a very differently reffed game on Monday night. And I think that matters for Boston. Giannis needs to find a way to score. And if if he doesn't go to the foul line quite as much, it's a little bit tougher for him. It's a little bit tougher. It impacts him in terms of getting shooters involved. So while I agree with you, I don't think Boston should be a heavy favorite to to tie the series up. I do feel like we'll see some slight tweaks, especially from the officiating standpoint on how Giannis plays on Monday night.
0: Yeah, it's hard for me to cry about that from Boston's point of view, because Kyrie, after not shooting a free throw, shot 12. And the team as a whole, 30 for 32, Boston. I mean, that's been sort of like their Achilles heel as an offense is not getting to the line, and they did a great job of that. Um, But I agree with you. I mean, if Giannis doesn't get into the line, his effectiveness is severely limited. I just think Milwaukee's so talented enough that they could overcome that. I don't know if Brogdon... Have you heard anything about Brogdon coming back?
1: And we just keep hearing he's close. We just keep hearing he's close. I hope he plays. I really do. But I don't know, Pat Connington... Who I was very critical of in games one and two. I uh, had a had a pretty good game three. And you know, Milwaukee's gonna be careful if they feel like they're gonna win this series and they wanna save him for Toronto or whatever, or save him for when they play the finals against Golden State, like maybe we won't see him. But I we just keep hearing he's right. close. And,
0: and then Marcus Smart is close too. And Boston fans are probably really excited. I'm one of the reasons I'm a little skeptical about Boston in the series is I don't necessarily think it's a big positive to have another small guy, I know he plays big, but another small guy against Giannis. I think you need to go bigger. And I'll make a prediction. I'll test my, my hot streak. This is going to be as specific as it could possibly be. I think Marcus Smart is going to play. The announcers have a couple of hustle plays and maybe hit a three or two early. The announcers are going to flip out and talk about how he's the X factor. You know, the heart of the team. The fans are going to go crazy. Second half of the game, he's going to shoot him out of it. He's going to make some turnovers like the bad side of Marcus Smart is going to emerge at some point and cost them the game. And
1: Can I ask you a question about Boston? I want you to be totally honest with me. You have to pick Jason Tatum or Brown. I can't, what, what is his first name? How Jalen Brown, what the heck is <laughs> going
0: on? Brown. We are a basketball podcast. You,
1: you need to pick those two guys. Who's a better player right now
0: in your defense. It is almost 12 o'clock midnight. It's funny, you know, Bill Simmons who I trust more than myself on the Celtics said he floated that too. He's like Jalen Brown has played better than the last couple of months than Jason Tatum. You've been I
1: believe, you I believe I believe I believe the tweet was Jalen Brown has played has been better than Jason Tatum for the last 4 months. And obviously Jalen had a tough start to the season and
0: you know but and you, you've been railing on Jason Tatum too. You said, "What did you say? is the worst ISO score in the league." That really, he, blew
1: that, that's a, that's actually a fact. Like in terms of ISO tracked possessions, he is the least efficient ISO score in the NBA out of 96 players with that enough really possessions. Really
0: surprising because he has such a rep as a good ISO score, and it might be what I was talking about with Damon Lillard when it, you get you know the smoke blown up your ass and you, you, oh go ISO Tatum, that's your skill, that's your skill, and then you end up overdoing it. I don't know. Maybe I'm stubborn. I still think Jason Tatum is better, but. Jalen Brown's really impressed me. Actually, like I always thought, is you know he's supposed to be such a smart guy, but his I always thought his basketball IQ is not matching that. But he's fit in really well. You talk about like there's not much he does poorly at this point. Um, you know, he could def- don't you agree? He could defend. He could shoot. You know, he's an athlete. Um,
1: it, it's an interesting. We talk about roster construction all the time, and that should just be the name of every single episode because I say it so many times. But when you talk about a guy like Jalen Brown, I think. He, he, you're looking at a different kind of player than you are with Jason Tatum. With Tatum, I think there's that that superstar upside. I think you can see it. I think you, one game, you get 35 from him. He can keep you in it. He can he can make shots in the post. Like they can throw to him in the mid post. He can make open threes. He can guard. But like Jalen Brown, your baseline seems at least so far in this series. The baseline seems so much higher. Like with Jalen Brown, like you don't you get a guy that doesn't make a ton of mistakes. He makes some. Don't get me wrong, but like. You get a guy who doesn't make a ton of mistakes, but also like you, you don't get that guy who can just kind of really keep you in a game if you need it. And I think the Celtics, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like we've talked about Kyrie ad nauseum going to the Knicks, but like maybe we'll see a better version of the Celtics if they do break this up a little bit. Like it, it's Tatum and Kyrie, the same
0: question I asked about Kawhi Leonard. The same question about Kawhi Leonard. Jason Tatum, it, it's a, I think a better young core than Toronto has. Tatum's twenty one, Jalen Brown's twenty two. Um, they have some more picks. They're not super high picks, but the more picks coming in, how far did they have to get to su- get Kyrie to sign on the
1: door? Ooh, that one, I don't know. He is a weirdo, man. <laughs> he's just a we- He's
0: a basketball genius. You can't understand what
1: he's saying. He is a basketball genius. I-, I love Kyrie Irving. Like, it's it's so weird, but I...
0: Can I give him some advice? He called himself a basketball genius in life never compliment yourself <laughs> you know never come out and say i'm a genius or i'm so good looking or i'm so cool like let other people say it about you that's why i say about you tyler you're such a coaching genius if you said it about yourself it looked douchey, but i'll say it for you kyrie needs like that guy the guy to talk about what a basketball genius he is talking about it yourself that way just looks incredibly stupid
1: he's just such an interesting thinker and i don't say that with a negative connotation like i i do generally like i i would i would love to spend like, not just one day with Kyrie Irving. Like, I would love to just be able to like, follow him around, you know, like just somewhere and just be like, hey, like, let's go look at, let's go to an art gallery, like, let's go to a restaurant, like, let's just not do anything about hoops and like hear his opinions on things. Cause I, I think he's an intelligent guy. Like, I think he's curious. I don't know what the hell he's going to do in free agency, Zan. Like,
0: I, I, I couldn't disagree with you more. I would not like to hang out. With well,
1: no, no, him. I'm not, I'm not saying that I would enjoy it. I'm just, I think it would be right. very he's
0: interesting. like the kind of guy. It's like the um there's an episode of 30 Rock where it's like a attract- John Hamm was on it and it's like attract the theory was like attractive people live in this bubble where they think everyone's nice and um they probably think all their ideas are great because everyone's just so nice to them. I think Kyrie has that a little bit in the sense that like he's such a talented player, you know, top recruit, Duke number 1 pick, superstar. He's probably around a bunch of yes men who are like Kyrie. Wow, Kyrie, that was so smart. Maybe the world is flat. You're such a smart guy. You should go out and. and some talk of the about stuff
1: him. he says is so stupid too. Like something
0: he just. He needs an older brother. I I would bet this. I'm googling it right now. I guarantee Kyrie Irving does not have an older brother. No, right
1: he has a sister.
0: He has a sister because an older brother would be like, look, dude, you're not, you know, shut.
1: But what I'm saying is just the the difference with like. Kawhi is, I think, like he's he's very quiet. Like, but he has some people in his ear that are telling him the decisions he wants to make. And I, like I said that that doesn't that where he wants to be, he doesn't get there in Toronto. Kyrie, he could go to bed thinking that he's going to sign with the Knicks, and like wake up in the morning, like walk outside and see like a dog with like a green sweater on, and think it's like an omen that he needs to stay in Boston. Or he could like he could like f- trip and fall into like a lake and be like, I got to sign in the Lakers. Like with the Lakers. like it's he's so weird. Like I think he could do anything, like right? That.
0: And and I think he's smart. Like don't get me wrong, I, I think he's a smart kid. But like, he's smart in the sense that like the freshman in college who smoked too much pot is is smart, but they're just babbling and people are kind of agreeing with them because um, they're all baked, you know. Like th- he's he's more like that's some kind of smart. Like they, he's much deeper. He's he's yeah,
1: he does think he's very deep. But that's but anyway, back to basketball for a second. Not the Kyrie like psychoanalysis here. I do wonder. It's like hey. Can this team? We, we talked about this a lot with Simmons and Embiid, like their fit on the Sixers. Is the Kyrie Jason Tatum fit very awkward and that struggle? Like, is Jason Tatum supposed to be a high usage scorer and he can't be that with Kyrie? Is is that where we're maybe not going to see the best version of Jason Tatum unlocked? And, and here's another thing, Zane. Is the best version of Jason Tatum a great basketball player? You know, is that the guy you can win with? I, I don't know. You could do it with Kobe Bryant, but. Don't think Jason Tatum's Kobe Bryant, at least not now. I'm
0: just twenty one. I, I yeah yeah. yeah. Really I, I'm
1: not writing off Jason Tatum at all. I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm just saying. Like,
0: I think they fit pretty well together. I, I think. Uh, gosh, you just said not to go psychological analysis, but I, I think there's part of that. Like,
1: I don't think, I think Tatum. Wa- I don't think Tatum wants to be this guy, Zan. I'm, I'm yeah. am yeah, he, he
0: didn't dismiss the idea of going to New Orleans either. He didn't sound to, to object to it. I think Kyrie, in my head, he left the Cleveland because he's like, look. It's like almost like a squire becoming a knight. You know, I have Game of Thrones on the brain. He's like, I just was the squire for LeBron James. Like, I am ready to be a knight. I'm ready to lead my own adventure and be like heralded as the conquering hero. And going to Boston, a talented team that went to the conference finals without you. Like he, he's still putting up numbers, but he's not being lauded as like the conquering hero. And there's there still rumors, like you know, are they better off without him? You know, Tyler Laurie saying maybe they're better off without him. I think that kind I of. I actually,
1: works. I actually think they're better off without Jason Tatum if in that particular uh, duo. So if
0: if it comes up, the Anthony Davis rumor, you would do that in a heartbeat.
1: I told you I wouldn't at the time. I would have done it. I would have traded. It. I, I just I'm don't, don't love. Reiterate. I don't love high volume ISO wings because, like, Durant's I just.
0: Kevin
1: Durant. No, no, no. Like Durant's <laughs> different, though, in my opinion. Like Durant and and Kawhi, even Kawhi, like he does have a little bit of that, like mid-range like hesitation type deal and where they post up like but Tatum wants to play so slow too like Durant can play with pace like Kyrie can play or Kawhi can play with pace like but also those guys are they're such great defenders as well and like they're they're also both of them are, are very good shooters Durant's you know an elite shooter Kawhi's turned himself into a great shooter Tatum's not that guy like His numbers last year were buoyed by an absurdly hot start from three that he's never replicated. You know, he had three really hot months shooting the ball, and he's been like a 33% three-point shooter from, like, the rest of the time. So I don't think that guy can win you a title. I I don't know. Kawhi maybe can. He was in a perfect situation in San Antonio. But, like, I don't know. I I would rather have Anthony Davis than Jason Tatum, even if it's for a year, because if you win a title, I think that trade works. But Tatum, to me, I I just have always – the, Jason Tatum, the understanding I've always had is that he has always wanted to be a first option, high volume, high usage scorer. And I don't know that that's the type of guy that, that that is the best player in the NBA, unless they're a generational talent. And Tatum is really good and he's really skilled, but he's not a generational athlete. He's not a generational shooter. Like, I don't know if he's the guy, you know, I don't know.
0: No, well, it's really interesting because I, I read somewhere that um, I think Zach Lowe tweeted that the pace in the playoffs is like lower than the slower slower than the slowest team so in theory like being able to score in isolation like Jason Tatum wants to do is really a valuable skill that could bode really well for your playoffs but the fact that you throw out the stat that he's really not good at it and he has this reputation as being good at it is really scary in that end um I don't know. It's something to watch more of because in my head, I, I fall into that like early narrative that he's a really good ISO score. So uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that.
1: Yeah. And so, like I said, a, a really interesting, you know, weekend of games. And
0: so let's do it. We... You want to make your picks? I made like a very specific Celtics prediction. Who are your predictions? Like the four games, because there'll be four games by the time we
1: All record. right. So give me, so give me the, uh, give me Bovada spreads in the uh, four games okay. and we'll pick against uh, the spreads again.
0: Okay. Uh, Milwaukee at Boston boston's minus one and a half
1: yeah i'm t- i'm just gonna go milwaukee in the points
0: yeah me too and again it's like not like a guarantee but you'd like you know a 50 50 chance at least i would say uh, um golden state one and a half point underdog at houston Whew,
1: man i'm gonna do this i'm gonna i'm gonna take the under the games you know overtime over hits whatever i'm gonna take the under and then i'm i'm gonna take houston i'm just gonna rock with my guys
0: yeah, I I don't know if I would bet that game. I think it's, uh, it's to a
1: first. total stay away for me, in my opinion. Yeah, like it's a total stay away. But for the sake of the show, you have to pick.
0: This is the biggest line because it's moving to game five, and you know the the favorite is at home, Philadelphia at Toronto. Toronto's favored by six and a half.
1: That's a really big line. That's a really.
0: Surprise I'm surprised I have. I'm a
1: little. High, I'm a little surprised. That's I guess I probably would rather just take the Toronto money line and just kind of roll.
0: Two fifty though. That's kind Jesus, of brutal. that's
1: really high. That's the value is on the Sixers. I think the value is on. The, I, I believe Toronto's going to win the game, though.
0: I know that's that's it's so hard to to figure out about that one. Um, if you wanted to be really risky, maybe you could do Toronto minus two fifty, and then separately bet Philadelphia plus six and a half. I don't know if you want to middle that. Um, they don't have the Portland lineup. I think they were up late watching Game of Thrones. It was an emotional episode. They're probably still Den- Denver's.
1: Denver's got to be. Denver's got to be right around up. Three three and a half point favorite, yeah, something guess, like that.
0: Okay, so pick that. Let's say that's the line.
1: And I don't know. It feels like Portland just can't be killed. You know, like I don't know. Portland, Portland is Dame the Night King. Is that a good metaphor or no? Not,
0: not so timely, but <laughs> I think uh, I understand what you're saying. I
1: uh, I like I like Denver. I, I think that Denver's made some really good adjustments. I think you know, losing a four overtime game on the road is just kind of is what it is showing some some juice and some chutzpah if you will and, and r- rallying getting yourself up the mat i i really like denver in game five i i like what we've seen from jamal murray i like what we've seen from will barton Jokic. if if people aren't noticing now zan i don't know if they ever will because he's playing freaking unbelievable and i i really want to see him play golden state i do
0: um two quick buzzer beaters i know we kind of got away from that because we have so much action but i'm very curious t- literally a 20 second answer kentucky derby was that the right decision I have no idea.
1: You know, I, I read it and, and it seemed like they knew what they were talking about. It seemed like in any other race, it would have been a DQ, but like I watched it and I was like, oh, I mean, it feels like horses and horse racing is dangerous. And so are we really disqualified guys for that? But I don't know. Seems like it was the right decision by the book, but I, I have no idea. Your thoughts? Well,
0: I'm glad we ended with that. No, that was good. <laughs> I'm glad we A little Waffle House. This is the episode of the Waffle House because we're nuanced here, right? We're not giving hot takes. We're not Stephen A. Smith. We're giving you good deals on jeans and we're giving you smart analysis. So let's see if it pays off.
1: <laughs> All right. That's it from us this week. If you like what you hear uh, this, just th- that's it from us until uh, Thursday. We'll be back Thursday, playoff time, two times a week, uh, tons of content. But if you like what you hear, email the show, Ellison at gmail.com and uh, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Uh, if you write a review, it shoots us up the charts, you know, gets us a couple more advertising. Zan gets an extra pair of Wrangler jeans and, and we can do some more shows. We're
0: going to start that. selling shirts. <laughs> I'm not even going to sell, I'm not even going to sell uh, shirts. sell my old shirts. I got a lot of old shirts I got to get rid of.
1: You can use electronicbay.com for that. But uh, he is uh, Zan underscore Ellison on Twitter. I am at CYS Tyler and uh, we will be back on Thursday. So thanks as always for listening. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines
0: and news.